Yes, Fisherman's Post, more fish, more often. My name is Gary Hurley, your host, one of your hosts here today for the newly formed Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. Hopefully you're familiar with Fisherman's Post. We've been around since 2003, bringing you the newspaper, fishing reports, the website, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now this latest chapter of the Fisherman's Post footprint, our newly formed Saltwater Podcast Series, where we talk to local captains and guides, and they share their knowledge to help you catch and find, catch more fish more often on the North Carolina coast. And as I am with every show, I'm joined by my co-host, Billy Thorpe, Thorpe Creative. Hey, Billy. What's going on, Gary? How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm especially excited about today. I mean, and I'll tell you that, you know, we do a fair amount of tournaments and we do a fair amount of surf fishing tournaments. And I've become very fond of my surf fishing tournament crowd, very fond of them. And so I think that in podcasts in general, you know, the boats get a lot of attention. So I am proud today that we are bringing in a saltwater fishing specialist to talk saltwater fishing. I mean, surf fishing. It's going to be so good. And uh, I stink at surf fishing. So it's going to be even better. I'm going to learn something new today. You got to pay attention. I'm going to learn something new. Don't play solitaire over there while we're talking. I want you to pay attention. I was just texting, texting my wife saying, hey, can't wait to see you. But anyway. Hope she watches this. She'll get a kick. Anyway, before we get into that, though, I want to shout out to uh, our sponsors, a Marine Warehouse uh, Center here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Also, a location there in Johns Island, South Carolina. So, if you're in any of those two areas, make sure you check those guys out. And I'm going to roll a little commercial that they sent us. That I think it's really awesome. So, we're going to check it out right now. Warehouse, we have boat, motor, and trailer sales. We have parts and accessories in our store. And we have a complete service department that will work on anything you have. At Marine Warehouse Center, we offer a large selection of boating supplies, trailer parts, and a large inventory of new trailers. What I love about Wilmington is being out in the water, being in a boat. It's my job, but also my passion. The best thing about working at Marine Warehouse Center is being able to help people get out and enjoy being on the water. Awesome, man. Love those guys. Great group over there. They are. You know, the the first person talking is Emmett. He's one of the owners of Marine Warehouse Center. And through the years with our tournaments in the newspaper, become pretty good friends with Emmett. Yeah. You want to know a little known fact about <laughs> Emmett? <laughs> yeah, I would love I don't, hear it. I don't think Let's many people understand the depth of Emmett. I don't think many people do. So I'd like to share with you a little known fact. Let's go. Emmett once walked the entire Appalachian Trail backwards. <laughs> That is not true. It's not. I just completely made that up. <laughs> I think actually Emmett tries not to walk as much as possible, but <laughs> I, I just figured I'd see if anyone were to bit, uh, bite on that little well, known fact. Emmett, thanks for uh, sponsoring the show for a couple episodes. Now that Gary is... <laughs> anyway, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on from that. I was, I was about to make some jokes, but I don't have any jokes toward Emmett because I really like those guys. And Lil, they do a great job over there. So go see them. Uh, and if you haven't, if you're watching, you know how to watch. If you're listening, you know how to listen. But if you'd rather do the opposite, uh, be sure to check us out on YouTube. If you're listening and would rather watch, we have a YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to that. And then if you're watching and you'd rather listen, go check out our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all those fun places. And if we're not on your favorite platform, let us know and we will make that happen for you. Um, and I got one more thing I'm going to do here. I'm going to shout out to the photo of the week here uh, is Brendan Banks Hartley from Hampstead. 
his first hickory shad right there, Gary. Look at that thing. Yeah, it's. I think that's, that's a nice. generational fish, or at least it's a generational rod that has caught that fish, meaning I think that rod's been in the family for at least three generations. I think that's what I saw in the email. Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting. So anyways, if you guys want your picture to be featured or a chance to be featured on our Instagram account or here on the podcast, submit that on Instagram. Go to at fisherman's.post and we will check it out. Gary, back to you, man. Yeah, man. I'm joined today by Matt Gentry, who is the store manager of Texas Tackle. And he basically cut his teeth on surf fishing as far as saltwater fishing goes um, with surf fishing. He's been surf fishing ever since. Of course, he's branched out since then, but his roots go back to surf fishing. That's why I'm excited to bring him on here today. And the concept that Matt came up with today, and I, I love this concept. I mean, I think it's clever. I think it works well, is early season light tackle surf fishing. So early season and light tackle surf fishing. So the idea here is not that we're going to back up a car or back up a truck, unload the truck and settle in for the day and see what comes. But the idea of being mobile and moving around to take the best advantage of the day and, you know, and surf fishing strategizing that way. And I'm happy to have Matt Gentry. Are you there? Say hello to us. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Man, we're doing good. And, and like I said at the intro, um, surf fishing has a special place in my heart. It's one of the ways I started fishing. That would be Assateague Island up around the Ocean City, Maryland area. And again, my surf fishing crowd is special to me now. And uh, we want to hear what you have to say. I'm sure like both your history as well as your position at Texas Tackle puts you in a great position to help our readers you know, find more success, more fish more often. What should be part of their thought process to figure out, all right, how am I going to approach this surf shoreline today? Sure. So this, this specific topic, it's really important to go ahead and um, check the conditions. Um, it's, you know, around here, depending on which part of the coast you're on, but here, uh, a northwest wind, a west wind, something that's pushing offshore is going to lay those waves out. It's going to allow you to do some of the things that I'm going to talk about instead of, you know, a more traditional go throw four or five ounces of lead. You know, we're going to talk about artificial stuff. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about working your way up. So if you start with little or no bait, how do you catch your own bait, you know, and, and continue to, to go up the chain. So, you know, it may start with something like a casting jig. You know, that's that's all you take with you is a casting jig, a couple hooks, a couple leads. Um, and, you know, it's light wind. Maybe you plan to go on a rising tide uh, when you get those bluefish and Spanish and stuff closer to the beach. So you could go throw your casting jig till you catch a bluefish. Now you got cut bait, so you switch over to something like a, a fish finder rig um, or, or a Carolina rig and kind of work your way down the beach. Um, I think one of the other advantages to, to fishing this way is that you kind of learn your way around. You get to see some different features of the beach as opposed to committing all your time through different tide cycles sitting in one spot. All right, so that's a good setup. I mean, I like what you said there. So if I'm following, what we're going to do is we're going to have someone walk out on the beach. We're going to read the surf conditions, you know, yep. know a little bit about the conditions in advance. And so not catching bait as in throwing the cast net, but with the jig, we're going to catch a bluefish. We can chunk that bluefish and we can start targeting other species and all the while moving around. So yep. with this title being early season, when do you see this process starting? I mean, of course, everything's relative, but typically we're looking for a certain water temperature, a certain part of the calendar where we can start thinking, all right, I've got a serious chance to start catching fish. Specifically, I guess our starter fish, our bluefish from the surf. Yep. What is that? 
uh, pretty much now. So the water temperatures come up quick this spring. Um, you know, we've got bluefish, we've got Spanish mackerel. They actually caught a, a king off the pier yesterday. So pretty much everything has lined up where you want it to be for this time of year. But um, to answer your question, I think water temperature is probably the most important. Generally, you, if you follow it year by year, you know, you can look at the calendar and see that, okay, things typically start to pick up in the middle of April. But naturally, if you have a cold spring and the water temperature is still in the low 60s, then you're not going to be seeing what we're seeing now. The water temperature now has been bouncing between 66 and 68. Um, so pretty much everything is happening. There's a lot of bait on the beach. There's there's silver sides. You know, you've got sand fleas back again, uh, that kind of thing. So um, th so now. <laughs> gotcha. Now. And those bluefish. So right now, like, what's the size bluefish you're expecting to catch in you know, early season, I guess this is mid spring. Maybe we're even calling it late spring. I guess that's relative to, but yeah. what's the size of these bluefish and they're just moving in from where? So this year, um, and I think it's just a cyclical thing. We, we didn't get a push of big chopper bluefish like you typically get in the spring around here. Um, and there's several theories on that, that, you know, it's just, uh, it's one of those things every, every several years you get a whole bunch of those fish that come to our area um, and then years like this year, they, they stayed further offshore. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody that knows better, t better than me why that is, but, uh, it seems like they stayed offshore this year as far as the big ones go. Um, now we've got plenty of like one to three pound fish that, that are inshore now and early spring seems like they start small, um, you know, little, little tiny snapper blues. And then as the water warms up, you start to get some of those bigger fish, which we're, which we're seeing now. And I think that I, I don't know this for a fact i think that those fish are mostly coming in from offshore um or down the beach um bluefish has long been a prize you know sort of target from the beach you know the hard fight and just fun to catch and so mm -hmm. if that's where we're starting i like so you have me walking out on the beach you know and yep. you, you know you're talking to me from wilmington of course you know this information can apply to different areas but you're talking to me from wilmington so i think majority we're talking about wrightsville beach or carolina beach specifically to you um, I'm walking out there with the intent of catching a bluefish, and yep. my approach with this is to keep it simple, to make it easy, you know, bluefish 101. What mm -hmm. am I getting ready to throw, and what am I looking for, you know, as far as do I throw right when I walk out? Am I going to walk to the left, or am I going to walk to the right? Because what is it I'm looking for? But, but first, what am I going to throw, and then where am I looking for, as in where to throw it from? Okay, yeah, so... So for me, um, one of the tricks that I picked up working here at the tackle shop from some of the guys that were here before me, which I had done similar stuff before, but was to take, you know, just a shore lure, little casting jig, see if I can get it in the shop, um, you know, loop knot to give it more action. It's a really versatile bait, and I've caught tons of fish with it, everything from flounder to trout, um, you know, bluefish, Spanish, all that kind of stuff. So that's a, that's a really good one there, but... What you do to dress it up a little bit is put a little teaser hook or even sometimes a gold hook out in front of it. And essentially what you're doing is you're creating like a traditional chase bait situation. You've got a little small bait fish that imitates a glass minnow. You've got a bigger bait behind it, and, and it looks like something chasing this little bit smaller bait out in front. Um, also, you know, like an ounce and a half casting jig, something that you can throw aways so that let's say if I go to the jetty wall, you know, I can get this with a small spinning rod and some light braid potentially you know 40 50 yards off the beach with a really good cast you know 10 or 15 pound braid um 
so I'll start there with the location. You know, that's that was the first one that I learned about around here when I came down here for school. And it's still one of the better spots that you can fish because it's a unique setup in the surf. You know, there's there's not many places where you have a natural barrier like that. Of course, you know, piers will slow the water down some and that creates another dynamic where, it, where it'll make shoals and, um, you know, holes or sloughs. But the, the jetty is a good one because you get all kinds of fish piled up there. It's shallow on one side, so bait fish are, are forced over top of the wall, and you've got that deep water right next to it and rocks. Um, so it's going to hold trout, you know, on a variety of tides. But for me, going out there at high tide or, or a good rising tide when those fish are pushing into the beach where they're within range of a cast is, is when I'm going to go out there and try to target them. Um, now it, it doesn't have to be right there anywhere that you've got a little bit of water or a deeper hole. seems like you can go out there with a casting jig, especially on an incoming tide and catch bluefish right there. And that's not to say that they won't feed in some of that shallower water, but if I'm looking for a place to go catch them, that's what I'm going to go for. So that, that basic surf angler or that introductory surf angler. And again, um, you know, this is people are seeing this up and down the coast, so they're not just going to target the Wrightsville Beach area. So when they sure. walk out the beach, man, how are they figuring out, you know, even what you just said, deeper water, a deeper hole, how am I going to know whether there's a deeper hole there or there or there? Help me out with reading the sandbars. Help me out with reading the sloughs. Like, I mean, give me a little bit of, of help so that I'm not just blind cast and thinking. Sure. So, um, and again, an advantage to doing it this way is that, you know, you're able to be mobile and fish different tides and look for this stuff. The absolute best way to learn is to go out at low tide and see where this stuff is, make mental notes, try to pick out landmarks um, so that you can come back and fish those places on a higher tide. Now, if you're trying to read it on the spot, the best thing that's going to help you out is looking at the wave action. So a sandbar naturally is going to push a wave up. Um, that's the reason that you have waves right along the coast so much is you've got this slope um, right there on the beach. As the water pushes up onto that slope, it's forced up by the bottom. So you go to the beach, you see the first set, which is the, the sandbar that's, you know, typically anywhere from 40, 50 yards off the beach, we'll say. Um, and then you can tell where the deeper water is because those waves will subside. They'll go back down. That's because the bottom's not forcing that water up. You know, the water's coming towards shore no matter what. Um, but the waves are only pushed up by the bottom generally. And you need to naturally have wind chop. But if you're trying to read the bottom on a calm day where you have a swell coming in, if you look at where those waves are pushed up, that's going to tell you where that shallower water is and where the waves fall, fall back down. You know, they come over that sandbar. Um, you can see where the sloughs are and, and it's something that takes time. You know, sometimes you'll sit there and you'll, you'll watch a set of waves for 10 minutes. You know, you might be driving down the beach, um, at Hatteras or at Fort Fisher or, or wherever it is that you fish. And you think you're almost positive that there's a, there's a hole there. And then another set of waves will come in and you go, ah, maybe not. You keep driving. <laughs> I got you, man. So I like it. I think that's easy to follow. I mean, I, I've heard the low tide, you know, technique before and then just reading the waves. And so I, now I have this rig and I, I like that rig you showed me. So one question on the rig would be, you know, and again, I'd just like to cover all the basics. You know, what kind of leader are we talking about there? Like what is tying the shore lure on? What's tying the shorter, the shorter rig on, you know, the bait that's being chased. And then 
walk me through a little bit about the action. Like I, you said something about getting it out there or getting in the right spot, but then once I get a good cast, then what's the ideal retrieve on that? Yeah. So, um, I guess I'll start with the first question as far as how it's tied on. And that, that's something that I can cover. I don't know how well it'll show up if I try to tie a knot on camera, but we can give that a shot. But the, the, the way that I prefer to tie this on, and this one's going to be important throughout because it's also how you tie bottom rigs is a uh, dropper loop right up above that little fly. That's going to give it pretty much a 90 degree angle that holds that bait off of the leader line. And so that keeps it from wrapping up quite so bad, tangling up. Um, and I guess just gives you a little bit better presentation. This is, um, you know, anything from 20 to 30 pound. It can be monofilament or fluorocarbon. Locally, we have super clear water. So if I've got it with me, then I'm going to go with fluorocarbon, but I wouldn't stress that too much. You know, I think it's it's a fast retrieve. It's a moving bait. So as long as you don't have anything too heavy, uh, you're going to be fine. And then to get a little bit better action on the lure is going to be a um, – just a loop knot, just a little mirror lure loop knot. And that's going to allow this bait to swim and swivel uh, as you reel it in. As far as the retrieve goes, if you were, if you saw Spanish busts and you were specifically targeting Spanish, you, you physically can't reel it too fast. You, you can just point the rod tip towards the water and just start cranking as fast as you can. Uh, Spanish will see it and catch it. And I, I think part of that, it's not that the bait fish are feeding on or moving so So you're trying to get a reaction bite, um, you know, before they really have time to see what you've got going on. As far as bluefish go, I'm going to slow it down a little bit, um, kind of find a cadence, you know, where I've got the rod tip still pointed at the water and I'm just, just steady turning the handle. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, but you, you get a feel for it, uh, as you're just reeling the jig in. And lastly would be a, a natural jigging motion where, where you pick the bait up with the rod tip and let it flutter and fall back either towards the bottom or all the way to the bottom, um, you know, to get that injured bait fish look. So that's kind of the big three. Okay. And then to throw that out there, I mean, since we're talking tackle right now, maybe walk me through, you know, the ideal rod you would employ in this light tackle mobile surf fishing approach. So, sorry, I got a piece of ice. So for me, what I like, um, is a three to 4,000 size reel. Something with a fast retrieve is going to help, especially in that Spanish mackerel scenario, you know, because you, you literally are cranking as fast as you can. So a higher gear ratio or, or a 4,000 with a little bit larger spool diameter is going to help you to get line back in faster. Um, for me, I've got some rods in the seven, six range that, that are great for this. It's a lot more fun to fight the fish with those than it would be if I was throwing an eight or a nine foot rod. Um, and then it could be 10 or 15 pound braid. I tend to throw 15 because it is an ounce and a half jig. So you can usually get a pretty good cast out of it with that outfit. Um, I will say sometimes the rods that I'm using are not going to be rated all the way to an ounce or an ounce and a half. So a cheaper rod's not necessarily going to handle that very well. You know, I'll use, um, uh, a Fenwick HMG or a pen regiment, which has been discontinued now. So I can't sell you that, but it's a great rod. Um, that I use, you know, St. Croix Star, something like that, uh, will allow you to throw throw these jigs a good ways and not have to worry about snapping your rod. Is uh, is distance going to be, you know, if I go, you covered everything, but if I go back to the sort of bluefish approach we've taken on, is distance going to be key? Like, is the is the 
novice angler going to be able to get the distance from a 7.6 or should the novice angler go a little bit longer just to make sure they need distance, they get distance because they need distance to be successful? Sure. And, and I think that question is kind of relative uh, geographically a little bit. Around here, we've got structure and we've got places where you can catch these fish close to the beach. If you go look at the metal rods that they throw up on the point in Hatteras, you know, everybody's got a 5,000 size reel and an eight to a nine foot rod and they're throwing two ounce jigs because sometimes those fish are, are just out of range if you don't have that kind of tackle. Um, so that, that is a good question. But for me, to, if you can play the tide and if you can pick where you want to fish, you can absolutely, yeah, the novice angler could do it with a jig. It's just about building that muscle memory of repetitive casting and kind of buying into it, you know, giving it an honest shot. You know, maybe you go first thing in the morning at sunrise um, to go catch those Spanish because you know you got the tide right and you know, you know, they've been biting right on the beach or they're catching them on the piers. Then you can kind of use those things to your advantage to, to plan a better day um, and, and use that kind of tackle to still catch them. So that's a great segue into the next question I was going to ask. And I think you had told us earlier on for bluefish, you like a rising tide. And so mm -hmm. one, I was going to ask you why you like a rising tide the best. And then two other tides that will still produce. And then what you just said is a relatable question as well. First thing in the morning, I guess, gives you a better shot at Spanish, but or just in general, does time of day matter? You know, sunrise, sunset, the middle heat of the day, you know, or is it mostly, how do they all work together? Well, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is those fish will feed any time of day if the bait pushes onto the beach. Um, earlier in the morning just seems like, for whatever reason, they they get within range of the beach regardless of the tide. Um, as far as why a rising tide, those, those holes are going to have more water in them. So these fish that are, are kind of on the pelagic side, you know, they're used to having water underneath of them they're more likely to come in and feed closer to the beach where you can get a cast on them and catch them. Okay. I mean, that, all that follows logically. I don't know if I covered your entire question on that one, but. I think you did, man. And well, how about this? Just any difference between sunrise and sunset, you know, those early hours, those later hours. Um, well, I mean, I guess the thing to think about if it's relevant is uh, the temperature in the morning, sometimes in the heat of the summer, you know, the water temperature will drop a few degrees overnight. So those fish are happier, we'll say, in that cooler water first thing in the morning. They're, they're willing to work a little bit harder to catch food or, or to chase the bait. Um, at sunset, naturally, like that's a, a little bit of relief. It changes the lighting. So um, I think just as far as fish starting to move, they go where they're, they're planning to be at night or, or fish start moving from inshore to offshore, whatever it might be. Uh, it's just changing the dynamic. And that's something that you don't get you know, in the middle of the day when the sun's high from, we'll say 10 o'clock to, to four o'clock in the summer before the light starts to change. And then I think, I think this is going to be my last question about conditions and, you know, and then maybe moving on from bluefish to what we're going to, how we're going to yep. utilize that bluefish. Thoroughly covered bluefish. But you talked about Northwest wind and laying the waves down. So we, we want it as calm as possible, or we just don't want it too rough. A little chop is good. We like it stirred up a little bit. We, you know, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, so so that specific wind is important to this part of the coast because of the way the coast faces. Um, the reason I say we want calm conditions in this scenario is because if I'm going to go out there with uh, a seven foot six rod 
and I'm going to throw a bottom rig with, with a one ounce or two ounce weight, or I'm going to throw a casting jig, or I'm going to throw a mirror lure. Um, one, it's going to help you get more distance because it's going to put the wind at your back. So you're not fighting the wind in that sense. Um, two, obviously it lays down the wave action. There, there are scenarios where an onshore wind is absolutely going to help you and stir the water up. And the bottom fishing can be a lot better, uh, when you do have that chop on shore, but for throwing artificials, um, you kind of want those calmer, or, or I typically want those little bit calmer conditions just to make the fishing a little bit easier, really. Okay. All right. So Matt Gentry, you've caught a couple of bluefish and you've put them in the cooler because you're going to treat your girlfriend to a special sashimi dinner. And now like you've that. caught your third bluefish and you're thinking this bluefish is opportunity. This bluefish yep. is opportunity to move my way up the food chain. Tell me about that, that philosophy. Yeah, so I guess this would this would be the more gruesome part. Um, and one thing that I, that I was going to mention too, you can always uh, one trick is to bury your fish in the sand to keep them out of the direct sunlight. If you are doing this light tackle thing, you know, not carrying a cooler with you to put them in. Um, so that's one thing to note. It's also a good way to not have to slice up a, a live bluefish if that's not something you want to do. So what I'm going to put that on typically, keeping it light is a uh, a fish finder rig. And so since we're talking about, you know, we're not so worried about casting distance now in this scenario, we're going to fish that first slough um, where we think there might be drum at, uh, regardless of the tide, if there's water there um, or where we th might think we're just going to catch more bluefish, you know. Um, so I've got just a little sinker slide that's going to go right up above a swivel. You can change the length of your leader depending on whether or not you are worried about casting distance. This one's a little longer, probably 18 inches. You know, if you're only trying to throw it 20 yards out in front of you into that little bit of deep water, you don't have to worry about it. I'd rather have the bait further from the sinker than a traditional drum rig where you put it an inch away from the lead. But that's just so that you can get the casting distance. But we're not, we're not worried about that in this situation. Um, and then I'm going to go to a small, this is a 3 aught Gamagatsu hook from there. This one's snelled on. You, you don't have to do that. That's just another one of those tricks to kind of present the hook a little bit better. Um, and so that's that's where I'm going to go with cut bait um, from there. And that's that's going to be looking for drum, more bluefish. You'll catch sea mullet. Um, not so many black drum on that. You're going to do better with shrimp on that. But it's just going to open up the possibilities for, for different fish that you can catch, you know, uh, and allow you to slow down. So if I've thrown this jig for 30 minutes straight, I kind of want to take a break and just throw something out and wait for a minute, you know, getting back to that more relaxed traditional surf fishing. So when you're cutting up that bluefish, are you cutting chunks? And if so, how big are the chunks? Are you ever cutting strips? Are you hooking it so that the skin is facing out, facing in? Does any of that matter? Um, it does a little bit. I mean, I, I guess when I'm cutting one up, I'm kind of thinking bite-sized pieces. So if you kind of more or less filleted, it doesn't have to be pretty, but, you know, knock the side off the fish. Um, and then I'm going to go to, we'll say they're an inch wide uh, strips and, you know, maybe at least an, an inch to an inch and a half long. Um, you know, kind of just a rectangular piece right off the side of the fish. And then it is important the way that you hook it, you want to come from the meat side out the skin side. And the reason for that is you don't want the barb to, to go back into the meat of the fish. If you, if you take the hook and go through the meat and out the skin, 
that that hook point will stay exposed on the skin side of your cut bait. And that's true with, with mullet or pinfish or whatever you might be using for cut bait. And if you're planning this day, like, you know, you've, you got some time free to fish and you know, you're thinking, man, I'm going to catch some bluefish and I'll chunk some bluefish up and go bottom fishing. But you're thinking to yourself, there are no guarantees in life. There's no guarantee that I'm going to catch a bluefish. What bait mm-hmm. might you have with you just in case the bluefish doesn't present? Yeah, sure. So um, in that case, then uh, fish bites becomes a really good one that you can just keep in the bag. You know, either the shrimp or the bloodworms. I think most people have seen it by now. Um, that That's a great one to keep, you know, because then you can take, we'll say, some really small, like a number six or a number eight long shank hook, something that I can put, um, put a little bit of that fish bites on and then... I'm going to catch a pinfish or I'm going to catch a mullet. I'm going to catch something throwing that out there. So that's, that's a good point. All right. So now that I'm bottom fishing and I found this deeper, you know, I've been fishing this deeper water and I, I don't know, like the outside sandbar is, you know, 40 to 50 yards, you know, where there's waves and then the waves dissipate in the deeper water and then they're breaking again on the shore. Um, mm-hmm. Am I working that in, you know, what's your first choice out towards the sandbar and closer towards the breaking waves, right in the dead middle? Are you casting out and letting it sit? Are you doing any kind of slow retrieve? Like what's your philosophy there? Sure. So that's kind of going to change with the target species. Um, so the same fish that feed in the slough close to the beach are not necessarily always going to be on the backside of the slough. Um, so in the scenario where there's, there's not much water, leading into the beach, then your bluefish and stuff like that are going to be on the backside of the bar most of the time. Um, whereas your pompano, your sea mullet, your drum, those are typically going to stay in that first slough unless all the water runs out of there, at, at which point you're going to start to fish the backside of the sandbar. Um, one little rig that I did have here that I was going to show you, uh, in this scenario, just to, to mix it up. So whether it be cut bait or maybe I've dug up some sand fleas, um, is pretty much a standard two drop rig and kind of the reason I do them this way again you know we've got clear water locally but I think anywhere anytime you can take some hardware out of the water is important um, give the fish less to see you got a better chance of catching them um, but then you know just a, a basic two drop rig like I said dig up sand fleas take a little bit of shrimp with you something like that um, that's also going to open the door to more species you know your pompano your mullet that kind of thing as opposed to the fish finder rig which I'm typically going to use to target some bigger fish. I think I got off topic a little bit there. No, man, that's good. I I like the different tactics of different species. Um, One thought I had when you were talking is about just sort of setting our drag. Like, you know, is it a little bit more firm with the bluefish? Like oftentimes, you know, as you say, you might want to take a break and bottom fish. So you might put that rod in a sand spike. I mean, are you wanting that red drum to be able to, pick it up and go do you want it to only be able to pick it and go with effort or or what's your approach there both drag with you know say bluefish starter species and then moving on to our bottom fish sure so so that depends on the rig um the fish finder rig is designed so that that fish can pick it up and move a little bit uh before he feels the pressure of the weight so in that scenario you could say okay i'm going to leave my drag light let the fish pick it up let him move a little bit with it you know, that way he doesn't immediately spit the bait out. And, and that's especially true with, with bigger baits or bigger cub. Bait. You know, you want to give that fish a second to get the whole bait in his mouth. Um, if you're fishing a two-drop rig where it's anchored at the bottom and it's not going to give very much, 
the only reason to back off on your drag is to try to prevent them from pulling it in the water, um, which will happen. Sea uh, mullet loves to pull rods in the water. It's hilarious. Like the one, one, one and a half pound, two pounders um, are pretty good at doubling a rod over, even though they're some of the smaller fish you catch. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say when you're fishing those bigger chunk baits, probably back off on the drag a little bit, try to keep your tackle from hitting the sand. Um, gotcha. Well, I tell you what, like, again, I love the, I love the approach, you know, for the introductory fishermen, the basic fishermen. So what, yep. what tips do you give people? You know, I've, I've listened to your podcast and I've gone out there and I've successfully hooked my bluefish and or my red drum and I've fought it into the shore. How do you coach people to make sure I don't lose it at the last minute? I don't lose it within sight. It, you know, how do I yep. make sure I get it up and fit? finalize the deal yeah well i mean a lot of big fish are lost in the surf every year because you start to fight with that shore break wave action um and, and the fish is going to use that to his advantage you, you've got to be thinking about your sets of waves uh, ideally you're gonna kind of coax that fish into riding up uh on a wave to get him onto dry land essentially to where you can grab him um but yeah i'd say most important don't try to fight a fish against a wave. You're, you're going to pull a hook, you're going to break line, you're going to do something. So usually I'm, if I'm fighting a big fish in the surf, I'm going to be pretty mobile about it. You know, I'm, I'm not afraid to run towards the fish to help the reel out. If he goes, if he surges back with a wave that's, you know, receding. Um, and, and likewise, when you do get that wave building up, coming towards you, that's when you want to put pressure on him and try and get him onto the beach. All right, man. Uh, what is it? I think we've covered our basic approach, you know, the mobile application, the light tackle, the moving up the food chain, the couple of different, you know, varieties, tactics, strategies. Sure. I know you made notes. I mean, I know you prepare anything on those notes that I didn't set you up via a question. Anything else you think our, our early season surf fishing anglers could benefit from? Um, yeah, I guess uh, we could cover a couple more species that I had in mind. You know, we could go specific on uh, on flounder fishing or on trout fishing in the surf, um, if you want to do either one of those. Yeah, man. I, you know, I know that you could be expansive on both, but I would like a little pri- I would like a little primer on both. Sure. So, um, if I'm going to go flounder fishing in the surf, um, that's a pretty cool one because those fish will get right in the fall. They'll get right up on the, uh, the shore break. And so, you know, you end up in a situation where you can catch them on artificials or you can fish live mullet and catch them. Um, now this time of year, we're talking about early spring. Typically I'm going to find those fish in the inlets, or at least that's, that's where I look for them around here. Um, in that situation, you switch that fish finder rig we talked about maybe to something like a Carolina rig with an egg weight, something that'll roll because those fish will get, get right out in the current in the inlet and they'll sit there and, and wait for, you know, bait fish to get pushed past them. That's a, another cool one. You can do it with, um, you know, you can do it with live finger mullet. You can do it with gulp on a Carolina rig. I've done that one in heavy current or in lighter current, you know, throw a jig head and something like a gulp shrimp or a Z-man. Um, and you could do really well with that. Um, what about our trout approach? The, the quickie, again, surf fishing for trout by many yeah. is an art form and, you know, sacred and all that and mm-hmm. no disrespect to those guys, but just give me the, the quickie, just, you know, wet our whistle on pulling in a trout from the surf. Sure. So if I was going to do it in true trout fishing fashion, I would tell you all lies and try to steer you in the wrong direction. Um, 
But if I was trying to actually teach you a little bit, there's there's two main rigs that I'm going to throw for them. That's for me mostly artificial. You you will catch fish using cut mullet. Um, you will catch fish using live mullet, but it's not something that you can necessarily count on. Um, and fishing artificials form is just more fun. So in that case, it's going to be a mirror lure, you know, something like a, a TT or a 52 MR, um, or it's going to be a like a two like a, a jig or a, a double jig. Um, that same same rig that I showed you with the uh, with the casting jig, you could take a small curly tail um, or paddle tail, whatever bait that you like. You rig them up in tandem so that you can get more casting distance out of it. And so for them, y- you can fish them in a variety of conditions and situations. You know, sometimes they're they're very structure oriented. Um, you know, so they want some kind of current flow come coming over a sandbar going down the beach or, or coming over a jetty wall or um, a deeper hole in, you know, by a pier. Um, and one thing not to overlook either is trout fishing at night and surf. Um, anything change when we're targeting trout at night? Um, probably the colors that you're going to fish. You want to give them something that they can see. So depending on your lighting, whether it be full moon or new moon, um, I'm going to choose a color that is going to create a silhouette if if there's not much light or if it's a full moon scenario sometimes that'll still work um, but you can also throw something that's got a lot more flash that is reflective all right um matt gentry i think that brings us to the end of this surf fishing podcast but i i need to apologize i cheated you of our feature yeah your two questions matt and i gotta say i was actually pretty proud of myself (laughs) You know, I yeah. think I'm, unfortunately, I think I'm often proud of myself, maybe to a fault, but I was pretty proud of myself with these two questions. I'd agree with you on the last sentence there. Yeah. <laughs> so here was my approach to your two questions. You are the store manager of Texas Tackle. So my questions for you were going to be Texas themed. These are Texas themed non-fishing questions. Are you ready, Matt Gentry? This should be good. I want you to complete this quote. A famous Texas-based quote. Remember the... Alamo. Oh, close. It was Remember the Titans. That was a great movie I once saw when I was in Texas. It was, I was actually looking for Remember the Titans. Um, please finish this next Texas-themed quote. Don't mess with... Texas? Hmm. No, I was looking for the Zohan, another movie I saw once when I was in Texas. Don't mess with the Zohan. So, good guesses. Yeah, my but, research, I was not prepared for yeah, this. Yeah, good uh, guesses, but just not quite there. Well, tell him what he's won. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Gentry, thank you very much for talking surf fishing with us. I imagine we're going to bring you back later in the season. You know, fall opens up all other opportunities, some different strategies. I mean, what you've given us certainly can be applied right away. Can be applied through the summer? Um, looking forward to bringing you back at a later time and just wanted to thank you. What do you say, Billy? It was awesome. I love it. I, I like surf fishing. So I learned a, a ton from Matt, you know, kind of, I'm kind of hurt by Matt though. I asked a lot of those questions in the store and he didn't tell me that much detail. So. Uh, oh, come on, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you that... never once told me you were going surf fishing and you needed. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't go surf fishing. Well, actually, he'd... he'll go walk. He'll go walk the sound. Uh, I'll go walk. I'll go walk it. Yeah, I'll throw some. I actually went night fishing for trout this past uh, fall and actually did really well. 
I caught a fish. <laughs> <laughs> what was the tide doing? Uh, the tide was moving. It was good. <laughs> oh, man. We better wrap this thing up. I got to go. My wife's going to kill me. Wrap this thing up, Billy. All right, here we go. want to give a shout-out once again to our sponsor, Marine Warehouse Center. We got a location here in Wilmington, North Carolina, and also Johns Island, South Carolina. I got to look down on my paper, Johns Island. I I got to remember that. I've never been there. Have you been there? I have not been there. I have not been there. So maybe a trip to Marine Warehouse and uh, and Johns Island would be good. Anyway, visit their website, marinehousecenter.com. MarineWarehouseCenter.com uh, and check out you know all their all the stuff they have going on, Gary. So that's it, man. That's a what a great episode. Matt's a good dude, and go over to Texas Tackle and support those guys so Matt can keep his job. <laughs> Everything's lining up. The universe is lining up. Zitch. Thank you, Billy. I, I genuinely appreciate that. That was that was my my closing statement. Was if anybody has any questions, if didn't cover anything, then yeah, come on over to Texas Tackle so I can keep my job. I thought it was going to be stop true, by man. and you'll tie rigs for them. You know, there used to be a guy here at Tex at Fisherman's Post that would go by and have Texas Tackle tie rigs for him. I don't know if that where that guy is anymore, but that's what that was my thought. You were going to close by saying, just come on by. I'll tie all the knots you want. Well, it, that it is something that. To see it in person, that's why I didn't bother tying a knot on camera. I knew it, w- it wouldn't take for you, Gary. You know, I didn't. I didn't want it to go over your head, and, and you'd be confused going into your well, evening. Why would so. I learn to tie a knot when I just go to Texas Tackle? Fair enough. Yeah, Fair that, that goes right into keeping my job. So, come on down. that's awesome, Matt. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for being on the show, man. And Gary, thank you once again for uh, doing all the great questions. Enjoyed it as always, man. I'm enjoying this ride. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week.